All right, the smoke is finally cleared on the craziest train done like can remember in the last several years, and that leaves us with a lot to talk about with the Cleveland future Guardians system. Uh, I'm Justin Latta, and Pat Ellington's joining me this week. Pat, it's been a while. How are you doing? It's, it's been a, it's been a very long time. I'm doing well. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I'm my head's still spinning from last week. I I can't believe the prices for some of these trades. I can't believe the Mets traded Pete Crow Armstrong for two months of Javi Baez. I can't believe what the White Sox paid to get Craig Kimbrell. The, the Cubs did very well, but, man, it was a crazy trading deadline. Yeah, it, it really was a, a seller's market. So um, it, it, it was crazy. Just, But it was really cool to see. Um, and it, it was very, very interesting. You saw a lot of the teams who were – and when now mode really, really just say forget it and really sacrifice prospect capital in a way we've never seen before for players. And we've seen very, very good players move. And it, it was just really cool. You know, this is my first deadline I'm covering. I'm covering, by the way, technically as a sports writer. So, it, and this being like the biggest one ever and like the biggest one ever is just really cool. Yeah, I, I cannot tell you the last time it was a seller's market like this at a trading deadline. I, I, I mean, last year doesn't really count because it was a weird season and it was late, but this was probably the craziest trade in mine I can remember in quite some time. And I'm glad. I think the game of baseball really needed it, even though, you know, I think teams made a a lot of poor decisions. They're going to regret long-term. We'll see. I guess if you win one championship, it's worth it. But I don't know. I think a lot of teams made a lot of mistakes long-term. I do, too. I definitely do, too. It was a lot of wild trades, like just wild trades. <laughs> it's like very it, wild it's just it, it was just crazy like i really couldn't say anything besides this is a crazy this is just crazy because it was just there's only way to describe some of the trades that happened like and and it was just it was just a bonkers night just with some of the prospects that were getting slung around in deals the last day started, everything's coming down to four o'clock still puzzling like that's the, the one deal that really just puzzles me yeah, I, I've liked Jesus Lazardo for a long time. I was kind of surprised. And, and Sully Marte is a rental, so it's not like he's going to be in Oakland long term, but Oakland just kind of gave up on Jesus Lazardo. Yeah, I mean, but also, it, it, yeah, that's the thing. It makes you, it, it made me think that, oh, maybe they're going to extend um, Sully Marte, but that's probably not going to happen. So it's Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> they're not paying anybody. Let's be real. I agree. Yeah. Same, same with Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe as they watched the Cleveland beat uh, Toronto today, five to two is recording this on Monday. Uh, Miles Straw was in the lineup, but Cleveland also got, uh, they got, they got Miles Straw for Phil Maton, which blows my mind. Not that I think Miles Straw is like an all-star, but they traded a, I don't know, the fourth best reliever in their bullpen and they got a starting center fielder out of it. That's insane. I say like, I know they had the trade Gander Diaz. What's that? Fifth best. Yeah, I mean, not, he's definitely not the first or second or third option in that bullpen, and you get mild. I know they had to trade Yander Diaz for it, but Honestly, still a pretty wild trade. Um, Yander Diaz, Yander Diaz's value is so reliant on his bat, and 
who knows with the battle stick. He because I really love he's been at. He's, he's he's been older and just more physical, so he could just dominate in that way. You know, in, in my opinion, that's just my opinion, just from what I've seen from afar. From what no, I've I think you're absolutely right. He he has been older for every level he's been at. He he stuck around in the complex leagues for a while and. I don't know if he, people probably look at the stat line and think, oh man, this kid can really hit and, and he might be able to hit. I know he has good exit velocity, so it's not like he's not a talented hitter, but yeah, he's older and he has this weird swing where he kind of steps towards third base when he swings. I don't know how conducive that's going to be long-term for him moving up. And I think he's kind of a fringy defender. I mean, he might stick and he might hit enough to put up with average defense. Who knows? But Cleveland's got a roster Brian Lavastida this winter on the on the forty man. You're not gonna you're not gonna roster him and Yander Diaz. There's no point. So not with Bo Naylor being uh, eligible next year for Rule Five. So he was plenty expendable at this point. Yeah, I agree for sure. And we're seeing the catching depth really kind of come back to the system with uh, what Lavastida and Naylor are doing. Even though Naylor isn't having the best seasons statistically. I mean, it's kind of expected for a catcher jumping to, to double A and and also being very young for level. Um, I also feel like um, Joe Donovan is, is a pretty good catcher in the system right now too, and and, and Mike Am did this, and I feel like the um the the, the organization really likes the guys that they have um in the complex leagues and in the in the, a, in the, uh, in the ACL and in the, in the um, DCL or DSL whatever it is. Yeah, I think Joe Donovan's got to play now that Lavastida is gone. Yeah. He's a good catcher, and Andres Melendez will get more playing time in Lynchburg. I forgot about him. Uh, he's, he's, he's done pretty well this season. He has for a pretty interesting uh, trades too. Yeah, he's you know he was part of an interesting trade, but he's a, a good defender. The bat hasn't been as as exciting as I hoped it would be. He had like a little, he had a like good May, and then his his bat never kind of just kind of fell apart after that, which I'm not surprised by, but. He's still a good enough defender. So they've got catching depth once again in the system. Yeah, the breakout of Brian Lavastida. Let's let's kind of roll through this because uh, Lake County is extremely, and they're still an exciting roster, but their roster just took a major hit this week. Brian Rocchio and Brian Lavastida are both in Akron now. Both well-deserved promotions. Uh, that means Richie Palacios is up to Columbus with Rocchio moving to Akron and we found out today that Cody Morris is going to Akron because Connor Pilkington and Peyton Battenfield are going to Akron after that trade, uh, the two trades uh, last week with Cesar Hernandez going to Chicago and then Peyton Battenfield coming. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't talk about Jordan Luplo going to Tampa Bay for Peyton Battenfield. Um, so those guys are going to Akron. Will Brennan's going to Akron. Uh, that's that's deserved for quite a while. I'm not sure what happened. Will Brennan did not even play last week. And... Now he just got promoted. That was kind of strange. Um, first thing I'll say is I don't want to talk about Brian Lavastida because you stole my feature story on Brian Lavastida. So, so thank you. I appreciate that a lot, Justin. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, what's he talking about? Well, I, I, I lost I just, out on that was, one too. <laughs> you're good. You're good. I, I, that did not stick. Wow, that flopped. Um, that was, that was <laughs> we could we can go back and re-record it and nobody would no, ever know no, you're good it, let's just keep it <laughs> let's keep it authentic and run with it um oh. thank you for ruining my joke yeah. i'm good at that yeah uh, um, well, so yeah but love you your payback. Um, i don't get to interview him now <laughs> no you're good uh, okay I, i'll take that um 
Yeah, Lava Sita was really great to cover. Um, just, just, just watching him. Um, the defense was really great. The, the, the pitch blocking was there. His athleticism really, really enhances his ability to um, to cover, cover ground, cover ground, or cover cover the dish behind, or cover behind the plate. Um, he's very, 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 very hard worker. Um, somebody I know who works in the front office. Um, talked about how he he really has a, a whole routine that which he uses to prepare his body, and he's a very heavy film guy when it whether it be hitting or um his pitchers. All the pitchers I've talked to about him, they praise his defense. Mesa Hickman in one of his last couple of starts that obviously was on a roster where he called Hickman said he only nodded um Lobsy off twice in the entire game. So um Lavasita, I'm very high on him now, just from what I've seen. He can hit. He's very athletic for a catcher as a converted infielder. Um, even if he, even if he does want to become an, maybe a backup catcher or something like that, he can maybe have some versatility to where you can play him as second or third every other day, a couple times a week, just to give him some room or something. Maybe he just offers so many different possibilities, and he has a lot of versatility and talent. And I think he, he's going to be a very, very good baseball player. He has a chance to be a very good baseball player for for his team. Yeah, not bad for a guy who was a catcher uh, like four years ago. His last year of junior college, he's come a long way, defensively much better. And like you said, the pitchers all praised his game calling this year. And I think this really matters. This is something that doesn't get talked about enough. He's bilingual, so has a very easy ability to talk to um, pitchers in the system who don't speak great English or not comfortable yet. Maybe it's just easier for them to communicate with him, but he speaks fluent Spanish and English. His English is really good. Um, well, he's, he was head, born he's from Cuba. He was, he was, he's from Cuba, but he was raised in the United States. As, right, he, right. He moved, Cuba as a, he moved from Cuba as a child. But one thing that was really interesting to me was this year, I noticed was um, how eager the players that only spoke Spanish were to, to talk to us and try and speak English or even just talk to us and speak Spanish and how eager the um, bilingual players were on the team to translate for, for their teammates. It was really cool to see the camaraderie in that way and how outgoing and um, upfront these guys are during the season. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yeah, they we've been very lucky uh, speaking in Lake County specifically over the last, I don't know how long now, but going back to – when Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez were there, Lindor always translated for Jose Ramirez. Um, Raymond Burgos has translated for us in the past. Jose Fermin did. Um, these guys are just awesome. And yeah, he's, he's another one. Lavastita is another one. And Valera goes back to. And, and Reynaldo. Yeah. Got our of them too. They were really cool about uh, translating. I think, I think just being, I think being bilingual just gives you a different, ability as a baseball player you know you communicate with your teammates better um it's just and it's just such an incredible talent to have just to be able to have command of two languages is so impressive and um i I think cleveland really values that in a lot of their guys and it's important and i think that goes back to what they're doing in the dominican camps too you know they have the the complex down there where they're you know they're getting these guys their education they're they're completing high school. They're learning English um, while they're on campus in the DSL. You know, that's a, a great investment. And I think that's why you see a lot of these guys coming through 
Lake County who are, are trying to speak English because they have that training at, at, at 16, 17 versus a lot of these guys who before were just coming over to the U.S. and did not have a whole lot of training. So for all the for all the stuff that happens in the minor leagues, you know, underpaying guys and, and housing situations, I guess you can at least say Cleveland's invested in, in teaching these guys and helping them have skills that translate to the U.S. no matter what happens in their baseball careers. Definitely. And Cleveland also really has a lot of um, Hispanic coaches throughout the system, too, and bilingual coaches. So that's really um, important also in terms of development in order to, um, in order to get your um, players' direction and, and guidance and things like that. And just being able to communicate, you know, um, having bilingual people around can really just help people who don't speak the same language just come together more just in terms of just simple communication. And those guys are together all the time, every week by week. Um, so um, that, that definitely helps a lot in the long haul. Yeah, one of those hidden pieces to development, I guess, that don't, don't show up on paper. Uh, how about Daniel Espino? Speaking of guys who speak two languages, he does. Um, 12 strikeouts in four innings. So he gave up a run, I think three hits, and he walked to batter. But uh, he faced uh, every every batter he retired. He struck out. That's 12. I mean, it was incredible. And I, I was at his previous start, his home debut against Lake or in Lake County, and he was getting behind hitters. He couldn't throw strikes with his fastball in the first inning. He threw 30 pitches in the first thing in that start. And whatever, and he he correctly, he said after the after the game that he was over-rotating his hips towards the plate too early. And, man, the guy was able to self-diagnose a mechanical issue in the first inning, uh, and he's 20 years old. And he, whatever he did, he fixed it. He went out and struck out 12 dudes the next start. That guy, I'm going to talk about smart kids. That kid is extremely smart and throws the heck out of the baseball. Yeah, it seems like whenever um, he, we don't see a video of his spin on the mound, he's always working out, like doing something like doing the splitter or something like that. And he's just athletic freaking nature too. Like he's he's a top of skill athlete just from his ability to rotate and flexibility and the and everything that he has that allows him to um to possess the stuff that he has with the arm. He's a very special player, not just in that facet, but in makeup also, just um being willing to move from Panama to United States to play baseball in the United States instead of just playing in your home country and going through a J2 process, but but really wanting to go to the draft and, you know, enrolling in a baseball academy and other things like that. That's just very, um, you know, it, it kind of shows the type here with the makeup of these guys and what Cleveland likes and, and players. Yeah, those are the kind of kids you want to bet on. Like you said, athletic and hard worker, takes risks, uh, bilingual again. Those are the guys you want to bet on and, Man, that start was impressive. He was throwing up to 100 again. I still think he kind of relies on his fastball a little too much. You know, you've you've heard it from Mason Hickman and, and Tanner Burns, how they've been trying to throw their secondary stuff in fastball counts, trying to mix up their sequencing. And I don't know if it's just because those guys are in college or, you know, came from the college ranks and they're a little more advanced pitchability wise or Cleveland just wants them to advance quicker because of their age. But I feel like, and maybe, maybe it's also because Espino has an explosive fastball, but I feel like he throws his fastball so much and he'd benefit more from throwing the secondaries a little more like being forced to throw, you know, more of a slider, more of the changeup than when he would lie on his fastball. But 
that might also be because the other guys are more advanced or because they need to develop quicker because of age or because they just don't have Espino's fastball. I think it's a very mix of all three. Um, definitely. I think all three scenarios come into play, but in, but in like in different increments, but I really can't pinpoint what it is, but, um, you know, with a guy like Espino, I, I could see why he would be reluctant to to rely on secondaries more as a as a young player who's who's not as who, who's just getting into the game, and you know, with the programs that Burns and uh, Hickman and Allen came out of, um, I mean, they were college programs. I mean, but Hickman and Burns especially they came out of top pitching programs in the SEC, so. I think they were definitely a little bit more advanced just in college with the type of things they were doing. I think that, and I think things like you used to say with throwing, with throwing breaking balls and fastball counts, sequencing that matters in the SEC. And I think they they knew the concept already, so it's probably easier for them to grasp it and diversify the repertoire compared to Espino, who's who's learning it for the truly for the first time. Going against high school yeah. players, you can just throw his fastball eight out of ten times. I mean, when you throw a hundred like he does, that's fine. It works, yeah. but yeah, I mean, definitely against high school kids, yeah, but against professional hitters, no. So I mean, he's just gonna learn. It is what it is. I mean, it happens. What did you think of Connor Pilkington and, and Peyton Battenfield? Have you had a chance to look at either of those guys? I kind of um, like Battenfield personally. Um, I looked at both of them. I like the pitch mixes on both. They pretty much just guys that the Indians like and. Um, type is is in these type strikeouts per nine over ten K per uh breaking uh based on balls per nine under three or at three. Um, they're they're very similar to the guys they picked up in the draft, so they're just sticking to type again. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited to watch Battenfield. I'm not I'm not as high on Pilkington. I think he's kind of a a drunk thrower. I mean, he doesn't throw that hard. Battenfield doesn't throw that hard either. He throws, you know low to mid nineties, but I think he's got more stuff and he's a big, big kid. They're both big kids, but um, I think he's got a little more mid rotation upside. And I kind of feel like Pilkington is one of those fifth, six starters that they'll bring up just as de- a depth option. But I could see Battenfield being a three, four starter. Uh, everything breaks the way breaks good for him. Uh, one unfortunate note is Shane McCarthy um, had Tommy John surgery last week. Um, he was off to a really good start this year. And I think he was pitching hurt towards the end of his run. So his stats went askew. Uh, also unfortunate too, you know, he was donating a dollar for every, I think $3 for every strikeout he had this year to um, pediatric cancer research. So that ends that charity thing too, which is just a bummer for everybody involved, but best wishes to Shane McCarthy getting healthy and man, he's going to miss probably all next year now in addition to the rest of this year. So yeah, that's not that's good. very unfortunate. That's, that's the whole, that's two years he's missed of development because of the pandemic and Tommy John surgery. So, well, yeah. And they keep well, adding pitching depth. He's going to fall behind real fast. Unfortunately. Yeah. He's definitely going to um, fall behind in numbers game. And that's sad to see. How, <laughs> how is Lake County going to, I mean, I know they got some, I got a few reinforcements. They didn't get a ton, but Man, they're going to have an awful tough time filling out their lineup now. No Brian Lavastida, no Brian Rocchio, no Will Brennan. That was your kind of your one, two, three hitters most nights. I'm, I'm yeah. really curious to see what's going to happen with their lineup now. Um, well, the well teams are going to have to pitch to Georgia Valera now. I know that for a fact. Um, Jose Tan is definitely going to slide up. Valera is going to get um more opportunities, to get more hits. Um, 
we're going to see guys like Micah Prees and Farhat and, and um, Clark Scolamiero. Um, they're going to get more opportunities to an outfield since, you know, they lost outfielders. And, yeah, I mean, the, the interview with the stats still. You still got Reynaldo Gallo, um, Jose Tane, Aaron Bracho, and Victor Nova. And Joe Norano, that's still a very talented at five. There's and still again, a lot of young, young hitters on that team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the position play group is the strength of this team, and that's really where it, it, the strength is, is in, is in the infielders and Georgia Valera. I don't think they'll miss anything defensively with Joe Donovan taking over Lava Seed. I think defensively they'll be fine. Obviously, Lava Seed was having a great year offensively. Uh, I don't I don't think anybody's going to match that. Jose Tina will, I would imagine, is going to play shortstop full-time at this point with Rokio gone. And I know you said you you think Tina, and I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think Rokio is probably a little bit better than Tina defensively yes. at this point. Maybe he's just a little more polished, but I think Tina has the same skill set, and I think this is going to be great for him. Now he gets to play shortstop every day. This is great for his development. Yeah, he, he deserves it. He's been a very good hitter this year. He's he's very he's really stepped up his ability to to cover the plate with the bat and, um, and put the bat to the ball and make effective contact and lift the ball. Um, and that's very good to see for him, um, especially with him being very young and missing all that time. Um, Jose Tena, to me, I feel like the whole interaction that happened because of what I said, people mis- misconstrued and tried to maybe we're trying to say that Rokio's defense is as good as I think it is. I think Rokio's the second best defensive um, shortstop in the, in the short, I mean, defensive prospect in the whole system, honestly, um, behind Gabriel Rice and. To me, Tana isn't as far behind as many people think. Just because, just because, just because of what outside reports say and things like that, you know, or scouting scat stat line things like that. Just from what I've seen with the eye test, you know, Rokio has a lot of range, but his hands are not all the way there yet. Where those balls he gets to that are that he shouldn't get to, he, he's not going to run those outs yet. So presently, I'm going to have Tana closer to him, but Rokio probably develop and improve. I think. I think Tina's got a better arm than Rokio. I think Tina Tina might have the second best infield arm in the system behind Gabriel Arias as well. So I think that's another thing that keeps him closer. Think if you're getting Nolan Jones, or are you just kind of scratching him off because he's going to be like a one B outfielder? Yeah, I mean his his arm is is fantastic. There's no doubt about that. I, I, but I think I think Tina's more accurate with his throws than Nolan Jones. That's the only thing Jones has against him is he's got a strong arm, but. Uh, accuracy has never been his his strong suit. Tina doesn't quite have that issue, and he's just more athletic. He's able to to throw from more, more different arm angles. Plus, the arm utility, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you're spot on. He he's not as good as Rokio, but it's there's not a there's not a huge gap there as everyone you know would think. And <laughs> yeah, I keep saying it on Twitter. Stop stop scouting the stat line, and, and you can see this is especially true from covering the team this year. Is um, it's not always accurate when you, when you see someone be giving an error in a game, maybe they don't deserve that error. Maybe they should have made the error. It should have been a hit. I don't know. But, uh, defensive stats especially are awful in the minor leagues to scout. Definitely have to watch these guys in person, especially when it comes to infield defense. Yes, definitely. And it's very telling in the minor league. It's, it's very visible. Who's going to be a major league caliber and certain faster or not. 
Like you can literally see it. So Julian Escobedo uh, is up with Lake County now. He was a, I have to go look. I, I want to say he was a 13th round pick a few years ago. Um, of course he's not. Oh, there he is. Okay. He was a 17th round pick from 2019. He and Mike Caprice are, are kind of similar, came from smaller schools, uh, had a lot of contact ability, good approaches at the plate, kind of sleeper outfielders, kind of fits like Connor Cox, like the Indians took this year in the draft. Um, so he's up with Lake County. This is his first chance to get to the high A. He's dealt with some injuries over the last couple of years. He's a little bit older, but it'll be good to get a look at him. He certainly needs to be at this level. And so is Mike Caprice. I've really, I don't know how much you've had a chance to look at Mike Caprice so far, but I really enjoy watching him hit. And I hope he stays healthy because I think this is an outfielder in the system that no one really knows about that I think has a real good chance to hit and be an interesting prospect moving forward. So I think I saw him like his first game with the team. Um, like his very first game, like he hit the home run. Um, and he has a very interesting bat. He's a lefty, right? Lefty bat. Um, yeah, lanky. Yeah, lanky guy. Um, he's very interesting. He has a lot of raw power, or he has some interesting raw power and some bat speed. Um, we'll see. Um, you know, any outfielder this organization could use. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good to get a look at him. Victor Nova has had a good month of uh, had a good month of July. I got to go get his stats real quick, but I'm I'm pretty sure he had close to a 900 OPS this month, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was. Yeah, I think he had a stretch over a thousand, well over a thousand. Like he was just toured at one point, and it was it was just ridiculous. But he's very talented, you know. For someone I protect us, you know, to be a utility guy, maybe in the big leagues at best. But he plays all over the field. He can play in the infield and outfield. Um, he's a lefty bat. He has a really good approach at the plate. He's really putting all together now, but, you know, he's not can fodder by any means. He's a very interesting player in his own right. Yeah, somebody people definitely, I think, sleep on a little bit because there's so many infield prospects in this system, and he can play third. He can play the outfield. He's got enough arm. Uh, yeah, nine nine forty six OPS in the month of July, so good month for him, and and – by far his best month of the season, 21. So he's not too old to the level, Just a very, she's short. He's got five home runs and 10 steals. So, you know, also not a bad base runner either. So another kid that uh, he'll, and he'll get more opportunities now with some of these guys moving up, he'll be in the lineup almost every day. So um, these promotions are good for the guys who aren't getting promoted, but they're also good for the guys who stay on the team because now they're getting even longer opportunities in there. Cause you know, between, Valera and Quentin Holmes and uh, well, Brennan, all these guys they had in the outfield. Some of these guys were getting days off and I know they, they got two outfielders now with Paris and Escobedo, but I feel like now you're going to see more consistent playing time. You're not going to have this where Nova plays three days and gets two days off. And I think that's going to be good for everybody. Uh, yeah. Same for the infield, you know, with the rookie and Lava Sea again promoted, it's going to open up a lot more playing time for the other talented infielders in this team. Um, you know, I really, I'm kind of reiterating it again, but you know, with um, Delgado, Nova, Rocchio, Nova, um, and Naranjo, and, and Bracho, that was a very, very talented infield group for high A, a very talented group. And with, with Rocchio going, it's still a very talented and in, in depth in group. So it'll be interesting to see how they perform. I know we've been telling people not to scout the stat line, but I mean, we, we've seen them in person too. 
Um, Aaron Bracho is one of those guys who's Rule 5 eligible this winter. And I have to say, based on what we've seen, not just the stats, that's not a guy they're going to protect. I don't think they have to worry about it, but definitely his bat has probably been one of the most. I mean, I know he's only 20 years old. He's in high A. That's an aggressive assignment, and he didn't play last year. Um, He only played in 38 games in 2019, so by no means are we writing him off uh, after, you know, 100 in 20 or 130 uh, professional games at this point in age 20, but uh, I was definitely looking forward to his bat this year and, and he has not, not looked great. Yeah. Brasher's kind of looked lost at times, but at the same time, he's had a lot of bad luck in my opinion. He's he, whenever I watched him, we're seeing him play. He's a lot of hard hit balls and he has a very good and consistent approach where he takes very big swings and hitters counts. And he's very, very, He's like a he's like Jeremy Mercedes with the multiple swing things. If he was a switch hitter, with a little bit of Jose Ramirez sprinkling in there, and it's very very interesting. I like him a lot. You know the, the raw power he has and, and the physicality is there, but I think he just he just get more reps. And you kind of remember too with with the Rocio Tanner right now, the Gato and the other guys on the team. He's bouncing all over the place and he's not getting consistent at bats. Plus, he's learning how to play one uh, first base now, and addition is still trying to play third and, and second base because his defensive home was kind of uncertain, too. So I think he had a lot on his plate this year, but I, I'm still confident in Bracho. He has a track record, and he has a good skill set. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I think he's going to end up playing more third base. I know he has the most starts at second base this year, but I would imagine you're going to see a lot of him at third base now that... Yeah, uh, I feel like his... I feel like seeing him in person, a lot of his defensive issues are a little bit alleviated. Over at third base. A, I mean, over at second. I mean, even, at, even at second, I don't think he was as bad as people kind of said he was. Yeah, I I only saw him play in person twice uh, in Mahoning Valley. and, and I or Actually, probably once. I think I saw him on MLB TV the other time. But um, I just thought he lacked range. But, you know, maybe he's improved. And... Um, I, as long as his bat, as long as he can figure out a way to hit, he'll be fine. It's not going to matter. So, I think True. he. I mean, there's plenty of time, but I also don't think. I mean, this is just one guy that there's a lot of guys in the system they have to worry about protecting now. But I think you can safely say Aaron Bracho, uh, probably not on that list with the rest of his um, July two classmates from that season, unfortunately. But still, a lot of time for him to develop. Um, boy, Justin Ramirez has been really good since he's gotten to Lake County in the back of the bullpen. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of him a ton. You know, he doesn't throw above, you know, 93, 94, but he has that slider and guys seem to have a hard time with that slider. So I think he's a little bit older for the level too, but you know, he has a reliever. So who knows how that's going to look, but another guy from that bullpen that they've had a lot of bullpen guys come out of that, team this year between him and Nick Enright. Yeah. Um, so for what I've seen with Jerson, the fastball has a lot of ride from what I've been told too. It's a, it's a high spin fastball. The slider is filthy, um, by the way. It's, it's very nasty. Two plane break and everything. And that's a lot of action for both. And it fits in very well. Um, it's funny you bring up the Lake County bullpen. They have, they have, they have a lot of guys, guys with filthy stuff come out of there like Nick Enright. Another and some other guys, but 
it'll be interesting to see how fast Jason Ramirez moves and um and how his stuff develops because I think there may be room for more projection for more growth on this frame, in my opinion. Yeah, he's what six one, a buck eighty five. I wonder if he's a little bit bigger than that. He's twenty two. Yeah, I could see them working with him to get a little bit more out of that. But you know, if he's got that slider, like you said, that's his best pitch, and it might be. I think um, I want to say the Hillcats hitters when he got promoted. There was like a little interview going around. Everybody was talking about who had the the best pitch in the team. Everyone on his team said it was Jerson Ramirez's slider. So uh, his teammates definitely think it's a tough pitch to hit, which is you know a good thing. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And then Xavion Curry, uh, I know you talked to him recently. I mean, that guy just continues to be steady every time out. Everything he does, uh, it's amazing for him being. I know he's twenty three, but you know, didn't pitch in 2019, obviously didn't pitch last year. This is his pro debut. And I just feel like every time out on the mound, he gives you the same thing. He goes five or six innings. He gives up anywhere between one and three runs and he strikes out a batter inning, walks a, a guy or two at most. I mean, to have as much time off from the game as he did and to just come out here at high A, and, and be as consistent as he is. I don't think people realize how hard that is to be consistent in any age as a pitcher. I mean, you got Tristan McKenzie, Eli Morgan, uh, Cal Quantrill even this year talking about how hard it was to develop a routine to be consistent at the major league level. And, and, and obviously that's the hardest place to do it. But when you're saying, when you have guys at the major league level who are, are struggling to find consistency, and here you have a guy who had two years off essentially um, from game action coming out here and be as consistent as he is. I think it's incredible. And I think it gives him, I know people, some people don't think he has a ton of upside that he's kind of a finished product, but to me, I feel like this is just kind of scraping the surface for, for Xavier Curry at this point. I absolutely agree. Um, I, I think highly of him a lot. Um, the, the stuff he has and the stuff he has is actually very, it's actually pretty good. It's, I think it's major league caliber. caliber. Um, even if he is undersized, he has a lot of traits that Indians like. He does not walk anyone, and he strikes out everybody. Um, the curveball is nasty, and just to make up for when I talk to him in my future feature piece, I'll be coming out soon. Um, he's a very he's a very intelligent and kind of sophisticated guy, and he's very well aware of who he is and what he needs to do and how he wants to get better. And he really takes pitching seriously. And he's only scratching the surface because you got to remember he's a converted player and he's only been pitching for four or five years. Yeah, I didn't realize like he had been time. pitching that long. Yeah, yeah like, we graduated same year high school, 2016. Um, yeah, five years. He's been pitching full time for five years because before then he was a two way player and he was going to be two way playing college, but his coach asked him to pitch full time. Cleveland loves to bet on those dudes, but you know Logan T. Allen, who went I mean, from position player to pitching full time. I mean, the athletes, I mean, they're athletes. You got to be, you got to be a very special athlete to do two different things like pitching and hitting. That's like uh, a quarterback that plays safety or a cornerback or something like that. It's just very different. He, I mean, and he was a shortstop too, so you know he was an athlete, and if he could play a shortstop for a Division One college team in the SEC. Yeah, Georgia Tech has always been, and they've they've produced a lot of good players. I don't know if they they're 
They've never been. Sure they've never been a powerhouse. Very, they've never been very like. They've never been a powerhouse, but they're good. I mean, they 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 produce good players. They've never been bad players by any means. There are some powerhouse colleges that don't produce a lot of as many players as they do. Yeah, they've had a lot of good players up there for sure. I mean, I off the top of my head, I can't remember a couple. I know they've had more, but I know Jason Veritek sticks out as one. Cleveland had. Um, he didn't go there, but he had a, a scholarship there. It was Alex Levisky who. Uh, was actually a oh gosh whoever if one of the alumni are listening to this they're going to kill me for it but I think he went to St. Ignatius if he went to St. Ed's whoever went to St. Ed's listening to this is going to kill me but I think he went to St. Ignatius but he had a, a scholarship to Georgia Tech so uh, they definitely have an eye for talent down there without a doubt uh, anything else Pat that I'm missing in Lake County before we move on anything you think that we need to to bring up from there. I know we've got a ton of questions at the end of the show about some Lake County players. Um, I want people to have asking us about Georgia Valera. He's getting pitched around. Yeah. Do you think that's a thing? Do you think he's being pitched around? I mean, I he is walking do. quite a bit. I definitely do. They're not giving him anything to hit. I don't know if it's going to get any better with, with losing Lavastine and Rocchio. I know he's probably going to move up in the lineup, but, it's it's him and Tina at the top of the lineup, so he's gonna have to lead off. He's gonna want to get pitches to hit, honestly. And it's kind of crazy because you can tell he's kind of he went. When I talked to him, I kind of felt like he was frustrated about it because he can't really cut loose. Yeah, I feel I feel like he's getting pitched inside a lot just from watching some of the last couple of games. He's seen a lot of pitches inside. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very. It seems like I've never really noticed that. Do do teams really handle? Do opposing teams really handle top prospects on opposing teams differently? Like, do they really, like, pitch around guys and things like that? I don't know. I mean, at this level, it's all about development. You just – you want you want your pitcher to be able to get guys out. Like, you don't want to – You don't want to do – Yeah, you I don't know. You don't care about winning much at, at that point. 20 – oh, wow. Okay, so, yeah, you're 100% right. Whoever asked this question I – don't, I don't have it on my list. So, who asked this question? But um, 100% – Spot on. 23 strikeouts in the month of July. 23 walks. I did not realize he had that many walks this month. That's insane. He had, yeah, I know he didn't yeah, he's play. Being pitched around. He's being pitched around. There's no way. Yeah, he, he only played 18 games in May and June, but wow, he had to have 23 walks in a month. That's as a, a player at that level in, in 26 games. Yeah, that's that's definitely telling. That's That's insane. I did not realize it was that. Which, and it's not a problem for him because he's at least laying off the pitches. But yeah, he is not getting anything to hit. You're right. All right. Well, good. Yeah, good I mean, obs- good observation. Good, good question. question. He has a very good eye play, also. So I don't yeah, take, anything I think, away, yeah, take anything away from that. That's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. No, he's. I'll have to watch for that. Now, I, I did not like. I, I. I mean, I watch games and I see him walking, and I'm like, oh, you know, not a big. Good for him. He's he's got a good eye, but I didn't realize consistently every game it's one or two walks a game at this point. Wow. All right, Pat. This is your this is your 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 segment right here. Uh, Gabriel Arias has been absolutely insane over the last uh, well last couple months. Really, he had a slow start to the to May, but he has been. Good in June. He's been good in July. Eight fifty six OPS in July. Eight twenty nine in June. Uh, you think Gabriel Arias is deserving of a major, major bump in prospect ranking? Yeah. Um. So 
I have Gabriel Rice, the shortstop, as a top prospect in the Indians farm system, in my opinion. Um, and kind of before we kind of before I go over it, um, Justin, I, I want your opinion on them, just to kind of so I have my context as I go to things on what you think of them. Because I don't think I've ever really heard you talk about them. Yeah, I mean, I'm look just looking at the numbers this year. I have not, I haven't really zoned in on Columbus this year because I don't know. Triple A is is a weird level and. Lynchburg and Lake County and Akron have all had players developing, but yeah, he's 21 and, and I mean, he's a defensive God. That's, that's the one thing you could say. He's a defensive God. His arm is ridiculous. He's got so much range. He is a gold Glover uh, caliber shortstop right now. If you put him at shortstop right now, he could win a gold glove and he's got massive power potential. Uh, I mean, just on raw power alone, I think he could hit 30 home runs. I don't know if he's ever going to hit enough to get to that total, but um, I, I hate the comparisons. I think it's lazy, but I think if you look at him and look at Javi Baez, they are very similar players. Um, I see him in more of Manny Machado. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's more fair. Um, how, the walk rate has really come along this year. I mean, I know you've talked at length about the VR work that he's done, the virtual reality work to, to improve his swing decisions and um, just have better pitch recognition. That's clearly worked. It, his walk rate, for him to be 21 years old, have the best walk rate of his career, skipping double A, you know, didn't play last year, hadn't played above high A to this point. Um, those are double digits. Yeah, he walked 41 times in 2018. He's already at 29 with half the games played from that season. So he's going to blow that away. Those are material changes that stick. Like those are those are the kind of stats that you look at. Like when you we always say don't scout the stat line, but those are the kind of stats you can look at and you can say, okay, something here has really clicked, has really changed. This is going to change his profile. If this whole thing sticks. You're you're 100 spot on. I think he. I mean, he. I said the other day I was talking to somebody and I said he has all the tools to be a star. It's just a matter of whether or not he's going to hit enough to be a star. And who who knows how how much further he can go with this? Because he's. It's the same argument with Xavier Curry. Is he really still just scratching the surface as a 21 year old who got pushed to AAA this year? I mean, that's that's what I think. I think if he hits, he's a star and. I'm starting to believe a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, with a right, with a rise, it was it was a ceiling play. And when they first traded for him, the first thing that stuck out was he he really went against type of what Cleveland wants in players and the position players, especially at the time when um his hit tool was at like a 35, basically consensus 35, 30 rating amongst the industry, um of what we knew, and while. His stock was rising because it within the positive system because of the work he was putting in with the VR and everything like that, and the data. Um, they would help their data, and no one else knew. And I think Cleveland may have been tracking him even before he signed with the Padres, just because they like they like Latino they like Latino infielders, especially the Venezuelan ones. And you got to remember, Gabriel Rises. I don't think you remember, but. Um, Gabriel Rice has been on the scene since he was 14 years old. He played on the Venezuela National 14 and under team. And he's been on the scene since then as one of the best prospects in his class. So 
I think Cleveland kept tabs on for a long time, and they liked him. And when they got the opportunity to give him the Clevenger deal as a centerpiece, they said, why not? And in addition to that, I think they liked the progress in the makeup and things like that, but I also think they really thought that they could that their player development group could help him take that improve take those improvements further. And I wonder if they have had a hand in, in doing so at helping him literally almost double his walk rate while jumping over well while skipping double it. Yeah, and I th- I think too, looking at him being age twenty one and triple A. Everybody, all, all of the age groups have been pushed back a year because of the pandemic. So like when you look at the average age of a level, you know, 21, 22 used to be kind of old for high A. And right now that's kind of the average. Uh, and, and it just goes up from there. I mean, if you're 25, 26 and triple A, you're kind of old. But if you're 24, 25 this year, you're about the average age for the level just because everyone's been held back a year because of last season. So not only is he young for the level any year, now he's he's even younger for the level this year than he would have normally been. So the exponential growth in a lot of these areas is even more impressive because of that. And yeah, so if they stick. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just if it, if they stick, I mean, yeah, like you said, 20, 20 25 home runs. Um, the other, the other thing is too, I was watching the other day. He's, he's fast. He's not, he's not a burner. I mean, he's, he's definitely an average to above average runner. He doesn't run a lot. I'm not sure why, but he's, he's a good runner. He's a good base runner. Uh, I don't really know why he doesn't run more, but he's, he's hitting the ball to all fields. I mean, the, uh, over the weekend, they played a double header with Nashville and he hit doubles down the left and right field line. So he's driving the baseball to all fields too. And, um, yeah, he has he has a very very good offensive field power. Like that's that's like he has he has he frequently like when I watch all the film on him and he frequently goes obviously away for home runs, which and he was doing that as a, as a, an eighteen nineteen years old as a teenager. And you bring up the age thing, but one thing I, I brought up in an article was how he's been fast tracked throughout his whole career. So he's been yeah. very young for level throughout his whole career. Like yeah, it's it's, been it's shown like five the stats. Seven years younger throughout his whole career. Well, yeah, if he if he's playing with you know grown men on on a in Venezuela or guys older than him on those teams, um, yeah, I he's definitely gonna. What, what do we have him? We had him twelfth yeah, to start yeah. the year. Yeah, yeah, twelve. What do you think you would put him? No, I don't know. Um, we we still still is been talking about a lot of these things. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, if you can't geez. say it on there, I'm I'm pretty sure you would say it. <laughs> he's top ten. I mean, he's he was twelve, so he's definitely going into the top ten. Um, I know I have I no input on this as an intern. But I just, <laughs> uh, well, well, we will. I mean, a lot of guys are graduating. Uh, yeah, Emmanuel I Classe, I think, is off. Um, you know, guys like Ethan Hankins are going to drop because he had Tommy John, so he's out this year. Carlos Vargas, um, Bo Naylor is going to probably drop, but probably not much because he's a catcher and it's double A. Yeah, he's not going to drop much. I mean, Rocchio is going to drop for sure. I think, mm-hmm. I guess we have to drop Cantillo because he's missed all year at this point. Gabriel Rodriguez, uh, another one of those guys, a lot like Aaron Bracho, where 
Uh, I like Street Linux too. I don't use any home runs. So, yeah, but he's another one of those guys. Where I'm just like, I, I worry he's going to be another Oscar Gonzalez. I know Oscar Gonzalez made me look bad this year, but I don't know. I, I think I have a personal bias against that approach. That's my problem. I think when I look at guys, I mean, like, it really like doesn't Oscar work. Gonzalez, it really doesn't yeah. work. It, do, it doesn't work. But when guys do hit. For the for that template, they really they really hit. But that's the thing; they have to really hit the socks off the ball consistently from game one to game one sixty two, and that's really hard to do if you, if you can't do anything else. I mean, it works for friend like Framil Reyes. Yeah, I, I mean, guess he walks six percent of the time. That's more than Oscar Gonzalez does. That's more than is a very, very is. is a very good hitter. Like I mean, even statistically. I mean, just do you see the growth this year? With I mean, even with the strikeouts and stuff, he's hitting for more for more contact to go with the power. He's going the other way, and he's putting the ball more now. I think even in the minor leagues, friend Mill possessed something that Oscar Gonzalez didn't, and with that large physicality to go with it, it really separates them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard approach to make work, and and I think Fran Mill is a little bit better in those regards. And it's hard to compare guys to that because he is special. And I don't think Planet, I mean, Planet has the physicality like Reyes does. Uh, Gonzalez kind of does, but he's a terrible runner. Uh, even though he's not like, it's not like he's a huge Planet's dude, but yeah. Planet will probably stick in center field full time too. That's the thing. Like he's a 60 grade runner and he's six, five. Like he's a, he's a, he's a, he's Julio Jones. If he was a center fielder. That's a good comparison. I didn't think about that. Just from a body standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean he'll get plenty of chances anyway, but yeah, he's he he'll I don't know, he's kinda of far down in the list. But I mean we knew the approach was awful coming in and plus he's nineteen playing the low A, so it's a long swing. I mean Bobby Bobby Bradley I mean he is he's not very, gonna graduate yet. Very long arms and things like that too. But I mean Bobby is I really like what I've seen from Bobby at the major league level this year. I don't know this is a farm report. He's gotten better, yeah. Um, on on this similar note, I can we can can kind of skip around just because I saw his name. Um, Young Kenzie lost it again. Yeah, Young Kenzie, another one of those guys that that it's kind of the same approach. He's a, a big dude, hits the living daylights out of the baseball, um, but it's it's the same thing. The approach is sixty gray hit tool. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, he could at least a fifty. Okay. But can I, can we get a sixty grade hit tool? No, because fifty five is so rare. Even a fifty five is so rare. For for a ready ready one B. Yeah. Well, it's just the approach. Like I, it depends. Like everyone, and I've talked to other people about this who are way better at this than I am, doing it way longer than I am, and have said fifty five is is a rare grade for a hit tool, but also. Are you talking about guys who is a hit tool just contact? Is it is it how much contact he makes? Right. Is it quality of contact? Is it approach? Right. Because right. How, what what all do you throw in that mix? And if you throw that all into the mix, to me, it's still a dangerous profile because look, he's got and and he and he's had a weird year because he's been hurt twice, so he's had to stop and start and stop and start again. It's but it's three walks in twenty eight games. That's still obviously that's the guy can hit. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think just the, I don't know. The, the fact that he's just dominating off of sheer physicality in his first end of full season ball and, you know, the stop and starting because he's been hurt is very interesting. 
um, especially you know as someone as big as him and and a righty righty first base. He has a, he's a very weird profile, but in, it is in such a good way because he's a six five righty righty first baseman who's very athletic, who probably has like a 45, 50 grade hit tool, or maybe like seventy raw seventy raw power and seventy game power, just kind of based on what he's done this year, I guess, or you could say sixty game power, just just to be um reasonable. Um, he's He's athletic, but he's not a burner. He's I'll, I'll take thirty five speed from a sixty from a six five first baseman, and he's a fifty five grade fielder as a righty righty first baseman, which is unheard of. Besides Paul Goldsmith, <laughs> yeah, I mean he and he's not. I mean Joe says he's not a bad defender at third base. He, he, and he I've went. Seen, I've seen multiple reports about him doing the splits repeatedly at first, and now he can moonlight at third. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, I, I trust what everyone said about him to this point. And, you know, when he went back on rehab uh, after the ankle injury, he only played third base down there, which I thought was really interesting. That was. Maybe they'll try and put him back at third because I know when they signed him, he was, he was the first and third baseman. A lot of people have asked this week about, or over the last week, do you protect Jan Kenzie Noel in the Rule 5 draft this winter? And I'm like, no. There's no reason to. He's too, he's just too young. He's 19. Yeah, he's too young. I yeah. I I he's 20. He just turned 20 uh, a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I just I find it hard to believe any team is going to look at this kid and say, yeah, he can stick in the big leagues this year. Like especially as a first baseman who can maybe place in third in his approach. He's played. He's played 28 games at at low A. I, uh, he has I, like 40 DSL games under his belt and like 40 AZL games. Yeah, I mean, he's at like 120 career games as a pro, period. So, um, and, and you know what's interesting is he's do. he's walked bef- a lot before this. He hasn't walked a ton, but he has walked more than this in the past. I, I wonder how much of the the stopping and starting because of injuries has impacted his approach and trying to make up for lost time. But I just I have a hard time believing anybody's going to select him and be like, "Yeah, he can stick on a roster all year." Like, yeah, people for people forget no value. the business yeah, no you, value really hampers really hampers yeah. that possibility too. Most importantly, and the, and the age. I mean, the age compounds it even more. A nineteen-year-old first baseman who, who wants to be selling a nineteen-year-old first baseman taking a roster spot—that's just that no. doesn't make any sense. I I've seen people talking about, oh, well, they didn't protect Anthony Santander. Anthony Santander was like 24 in high A because um, he was always injured and it was high A. That's, I mean, not that high A and low A have like a, a huge difference. gap, but you know, he played like parts of three seasons at high A because he was and always Santander was really, really good in, in, when he was healthy in the minors. Yeah. And, and Cleveland not protecting him was really more just a bet against the fact that he was never healthy and, and look at, look at right now. He hasn't been healthy all year this year. Not that this is the, the bag on Anthony Santander show. Cause he's still a good player, but um, you know, it, it worked out well for the Orioles. It worked out well for him. That's the rare situation where it worked out. He is, Anthony Santander is the exception, not the rule. And I, I think for Noel, it wouldn't work either. Teams will give the Orioles enough credit for how they finagled acquiring him. Cause they literally, Picked him up and literally like created the whole stash of guy on IO to keep him from the Rule Five reversal thing mm-hmm. when that happened. Yeah, it took him two years. It took him. 
it took them two years on their roster to have enough days on the roster to to stay. Like they had to go to spread it out over two years. So yeah, like yeah, they, really, they really pulled that off well. Credit to them for that. But I mean, Santana is also like a really Cleveland guy, a switch hitting contact first outfielder. I mean, he just he was just. A, I mean, just from what I've seen him play, just he reminds me a lot of the infielders Cleveland likes. You know, just with the approach and the hitting and things like that. And Noel's just a first baseman, as good as he is. Yeah, I, I, I find it very. I mean, it would stink if someone took him, but also, yeah. what are the odds of him sticking? Like, if someone takes him, you know, he might be back. So it would yeah, be a he, big he, bummer he to lose him. But be it, back if somebody does take him, yeah, I wouldn't sweat it, honestly. Uh, and, and it's not like Cleveland's the only team out there with, with a roster issue, right? Like a lot of teams have this issue. So you think they're gonna? The teams that are struggling to figure out who who to protect going forward are not going to take Noel, so that eliminates a lot of other teams from taking him. So that answers that question, I think, pretty fairly. Uh, we should probably speed things up because we've been going for about an hour, and we've only got through about half this whole thing. So we might just kind of ditch some of these topics because this is how. It usually works because I have yeah. not figured out the concept of time yet. Um, yeah, how about Stephen Kwan? We've seen a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. How about how about Stephen Kwan? Have you been following the conversation about him on Twitter over the last couple of days? I think I I, I want to say I remember, but I don't. Can so, you go over the Can you give me some context? Yeah. So actually, Mike Hattery was the one who kind of brought it up the other day about. Um, the contact skills and oh yeah okay I remember now the contact and the speed and everything he's showing in on base skills and stuff he's basically doing what 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 he's doing what he was doing at Oregon State yeah and now now to go with that um you know he's pulling the ball a little bit more this year his pull rate's gone up he's now starting to hit more fly balls than ground balls which is new for him this year and we're not talking about a guy who's going to hit you know double-digit homers, maybe not not, not even five. Fifth, fifth, yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy who might top out at 10 homers, but, you know, contact authority is a big deal. Um, you know, people talk about Miles Straw. Like, Miles Straw does not hit the ball hard, but it works for him. Stephen Kwan, kind of the same thing. If he can find a way to, to pull some more balls with authority with his contact skills, I mean, geez, he's got 12 walks, 11 strikeouts. He's got uh, 12 extra base hits this year. And twelve walks and eleven strikeouts. That's that's really good. And he's twenty three, so he's like right on par for that age in Double A. Um, you know, and he's one of the guys that missed last year, but he was a great hitter at Oregon State. And now all this is starting to play out. And this is another guy. I'm. If you ask me today, if I would put him on the on the forty man roster this winter, I would because this is the kind of profile that sticks in the major leagues in a Rule Five draft. Definitely, he he has um, fourth outfielder written all over him. See, I I kind of feel like he could be a starter. He what, what, he runs pretty left? well. Yeah, uh, yeah, start? he's yeah, he doesn't have the arm to play anywhere else. Um, I mean, he could play center. He's he's a good defender, so you could put him in center. But I I think you could be. I don't know. He'd be like a great starter. But if he hits enough and he plays good enough defense and he's a good runner, you know, there's a lot of utility there. He could be a, a kind of an average to uh, a fringe average. So you're right. Fourth outfielder probably makes more sense. But, 
you know, he's he's one of those guys. I wouldn't be surprised if he's better than you think he's going to be just because of I how agree. he hits. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, um, he's another category-oriented player that, that's making regressions with pulling the ball and maximizing that, that Cleveland is becoming, you know, kind of not, not known for, but they – but that's something something they do with guys. They, they tend to encourage, or it tends to just happen a lot. Um, so it's very interesting to see them kind of go that route again, and and they're working. Um, Quamp maybe can be. I got. I, I'll have to see his defense to see just from the eye test and everything like that. Plus, like you said, the defensive stats in the minor leagues are terrible, and it's even worse for outfielders and infielders. So, yeah, yeah, I think he's got enough range to cover center, more than enough to cover left, and. Um. Yeah, just the arm arm won't play in right, but you know, if if something happens, he could put him in right just for the defense. Uh, Tyler Freeman, unfortunately, out for the season. That shoulder issue. Uh, he nagged it. Um, the other day, after he had the cortisone injection, just uh, you know, he had labrum surgery on that a couple of years ago, and this is the same one he aggravated. So, I'm a little bit concerned at this point, but you know. If he comes back in 2022, I guess you can forget about it. But for right now, uh, disappointing end to the year. He'll be on the 40-man roster. That's not like you know this is going to cost him anything. Teams would still take him if, uh, if Cleveland didn't protect him. And then they just put him on I.O. and just anti-Santana. Oh, you mean he would just go to Baltimore? <laughs> Baltimore has so many, so many. I mean, they had... Uh, I'm pretty sure he would be the first overall pick in a row five draft. If he oh, was 100%. Because he's an infielder. He would be able to play all three positions on the infield and uh, hit and like he, he would. He would be a pretty decent utility player right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so he'll, he'll be on the 40. This injury doesn't change anything other than the fact that um, it's just a huge bummer. I mean, he still had a good season. He had 323. Uh, the walks... With him, you know, still, it's the same thing with anybody else. The walks just aren't great. I wonder. Sounds like Gabriel Arias. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Someone's, someone's fast in there. Um, I kind of wonder about this. I'm curious to see what you think. But all these guys they've collected, right? They they all know they have good bat-to-ball skills. They can make contact with any pitch because they, they just have that innate ability. Do you think that? Because they have the skill, and they know they have the skill, they become more aggressive at the plate in their approach because they can make contact, and they're not—they're not as good at being patient because they know they can hit the ball. Do you think that's that's those two things kind of go together? Definitely, I, I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, I, yeah, I wonder. Asking, there's no way it doesn't, in my opinion. Just I wonder if they have thought about about the implications of that. Like they've, they've clearly gone all in on this contact first approach with a lot of these hitters. I, mean, I just kind of wonder what they thought about that. There's just so many guys that do this and I'm, cause I mean, we've talked about it all, all day in this podcast. I mean, Freeman and, and Noel and Oscar Gonzalez and, uh, Stephen Kwan and Kwan does it. Yeah. They just swing a lot and, and they have good approaches, but it's like, I don't know. These guys must just realize they make a lot of contact and they, this is what happens. I wonder, I wonder what Cleveland thinks of, of that outcome considering they've, they've collected all these guys to do this, you know? 
but it's weird. They, they, it, that is contrasted by a whole lot of they have a lot of three outcomes guys too, like Will Will Benson, Georgia Valera, Aaron Bradshaw, the type, and Nolan Jones too. But it's yeah, like well, those three, those guys three, were taken two. before this regime started picking players, so they kind of don't fit together. But at least they do have some balance here, right? That's true. That that was twenty sixteen, so that was the old regime. Um, let's see. Going to be fun to watch how Brian Lavastida and, and Bo Naylor. Bo Naylor has been really good lately. Uh, Going to be fun to see how they split playing time together. I'm sure it'll be, you know, catch one day, DH the next. That's going to be just tons of fun. I think it'll be good for them. I think... Uh, That's a very, very good double A back sub duo. Right? Might be one of the best. I, I think those two are going to push each other, too. I think the competition is going to be great for them. Absolutely, and this, I think it's going to help them down the line because I think they're both going to be the catchers of the future for the team. Like I, I literally, I literally think they're both going to get called up to be the full-time catcher for the team very soon. You want a hot take? Hot take: One of them gets traded this winter for a outfielder. I'll that's my it. hot take. Okay, I'll hold you to that. But I, that's very—that's not even a hot take. That that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I I've because I've been covering prospects so long. I'm so risk averse to trading these guys because I'm like, oh man, how could you, how could you trade this prospect? He's gonna be so good. I'm all I've always done that. I've, I've done that back to Clint Frazier for Andrew Miller. It's been, it's been my weakness. But uh, and and I feel like I'll be like that with one of these guys. But they wind up right anyway. So they do. It usually works out. Although we'll we'll see what happens this year with all those crazy major league trades. Um, Let's see. Lenny Torres, great last time out. Six strikeouts, five innings, two hits, a walk. Uh, very good to see him continue to progress, you know, this yeah, year for him. Really been, good this year. He's been throwing a lot of strikes and everything. I remember that being a concern for him was his ability to throw strikes. Yeah, I mean, just to get back on the mound this year, considering he's missed two years, to to go back and fight, regain that command is important. Um, this year, to me, was just him getting through the year and being healthy by the end of the year. And feeling like he's in a good place to move forward, and I think he's getting there, and he's being, he's improved every month. Uh, we mentioned Andres Melendez will play more with Yander Diaz gone. We talked about how we felt about that. Pat and I both agree. Um, we did both agree, right? That that was a, uh, yeah, a worthwhile was trade. Absolutely. Yeah, and they weren't going to protect him, and I, I don't even think anybody would take him in the Rule Five draft, but um, to get Miles Straw, totally worth it. Uh, one of these guys whose approaches I do like. Isaiah Green, more walks and strikeouts, uh, still doing really good as far as uh, complex league stats go, which are even more worthless than most minor league stats. But that's all we got until Joe can come back and give us another report. Uh, Luis Durango Jr., I cannot wait till this kid gets to Lake County. He stole five bases last week. He has 15 steals in 13 games. I think he is, I want to say, second or third. No, he's second in the entire organization. In steals, I think he's like behind somebody on the major league level. Um, I have to go and like look and see who's got steals, but uh, his 15 steals are at least first or second in the entire organization from MLB down, and he's played in 13 games. That kid can that, run. That's crazy. Yeah, he stole four bases in one game. I think when the AZL started up. He's going to be fun. His dad played in the pros for a little bit. Yeah, I'm he's going to. Yeah, he's going to be fun. Shortstop. What's that? 
Is he isn't he a shortstop or is he switching outfielder? I can't remember. If he was he's he's an outfielder, and he okay, is he's, he's switching outfielder. Okay, he is what you would call diminutive. Yeah, he's like five seven. Yeah, he is not a big kid, but don't matter. He can hit and he can run. <laughs> so he's out. So, he's out too. He plays in the field basically. Yeah, or or Jose Ramirez. Who knows? Um, let's get to some questions. We got some good ones. Most of them are from Nunzio Izzo, but that's okay. We'll we'll get to them and we'll get out of here because I know Nunzio listens this long to the podcast, so uh, we'll always answer his questions. You, First Nunzio. one, though. Right, yeah. Good big fan right there. Uh, Rahelio Castillo of... Uh, night, man. He snapped. <laughs> I love that dude. Um, from Covering the Tigers, he also writes at Prospects Live. Cool dude, fantastic, really cool. fantastic dude. Yeah, <laughs> he said, first time caller, big fan of your work. Uh, on a serious note, how much you guys like Oscar Gonzalez? I had a chance to watch him in Akron. Wondering how his game's been since he got called to Columbus. I will hang up and listen. Thanks, Rahelio. Uh, he's starting to hit for more power, and you know he he had a hard time when he got called to Akron. He was like great in Lynchburg, and then he got to Akron. He struggled. So that's kind of his been MO, his mo where he gets to a new level. Things are kind of shaky for him, uh, but he he's starting to come along. I mean, he's not striking out a ton. He still doesn't walk, but he's he's starting to settle in. I think I think somebody will take him in the Rule Five draft this winter. I don't think Cleveland will protect him, but I think somebody will take him in the Rule Five draft and see if he can be like a a bench hitter, especially with the National League and DH this year. What do you think? Yeah, Pat? I think I definitely think with the DH being implemented in the National League, he's going to be somebody's DH, somebody's bench bat. And I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I've always been kind of lower on on Gonzalez than most because the numbers to me just don't add up to the performance. But I hope it hope works out for him. He's a good kid. He works hard, and um, you know, I hope I'm wrong because that means this kid made made himself some money and, and made some out of himself when a lot of people thought he could and myself included. So I hope I'm wrong. Um, RDP, uh, how are concerned are you about Tyler Freeman? I don't know. I, I would say I am concerned, but I also think the time off, I mean, this is the first time he's had this issue since the surgery. The surgery was kind of a fluke injury. I don't think it'll be something that's going to continue to plague him, but um, as long as he comes back next year and doesn't have this issue again, I'm not concerned at all. But it will depend on what happens next year, I suppose. Same here. Man of few words, but good thoughts. Uh, none, all right, let's get to Nunzio's I questions. Mean, you, you really kind of um, <laughs> said everything you say about the Tyler Freeman injury. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see if we could just kind of rapid fire on Nunzio's questions here. Let's do some quick answers. Cool, cool, cool. There's, so, there's so many. Uh, can we ask about the state of the org? How it treats its minor league players as this issue continues to grow in national attention. Um, as far as I know, and this is this is one of those we can't answer succinctly. What were you going to say, Pat? Yeah, go ahead with your as far as I know, and then I'll go ahead with mine because I have some as far as I know stuff too. Kieran Lovegrove gave a great interview, and, and props to him for for having the the cojones to to say this publicly to reporter and not ask for um, to be anonymous. I'm not Anonymity. Thank you. I was looking for that word. And I, I could not uh, get it out, but say it again. Anonymity. Anonymity. There we go. <laughs> I know. I swear I know that word. Um, <laughs> he set out, you know, he said that things are so bad with the angels and it's things for them. Things are so bad with them. Guys are sleeping in the kitchen. They're sleeping on air mattresses and 
um, players are sleeping on air mattresses in a lot of systems, sadly. But um, he said it's it's night and day between how Cleveland treated their prospects versus him or versus the Angels. So I don't know if it's just because he's really going through some hard times with how the Angels treat prospects that Cleveland's looks better. Um, but he had some high praise for Cleveland and how they treated their prospects. So it, I guess that's as far as I know right now. Yeah. Um, so from what I've talked to a couple of players, um, I know that Cleveland is, is okay. They can be kind of weird with communicating with players about certain things, but I know that they do a little bit better with um, taking care of guys and things like that on, on that end. So, yeah. So they're not bad. And now they're, they're one of the first organizations to pay players what their stipends during the pandemic last year too. Yeah, they did. They did. And they paid the mo- they paid some of the most, and I know they paid their front office members some of the most money too. And like we mentioned before, they did build that academy down in the Dominican, where it's kind of like a college campus. The, the prospects sleep there. Uh, they provide all the meals on that campus. So there's a weight room. They're in a classroom when they're not playing ball. So they're getting their education. They're learning English. So there is that stateside, probably not as, as um, structured and as committed, but you know, ironically, yeah, right. Weird. Um, but you know, okay. Middle of the pack, I guess, you know, they're not, they're not the best, but they're not the worst. The bar is so low. I don't know. The bar the bar is so low for the bar this. I don't is so even... low. I mean, even the peak is even the best is low, honestly. Yeah, it's it's just it's, so the treat of minor league is pathetic even by the best organizations. Did you did you see Jeff Passon's tweet earlier about how that minor leaguer for them hit a, a home run or grand slam and because of where he hit the grand slam, he must have hit some advertisement. The fan some lo- random fan got $10,000 because of where he hit the ball. And that's about as much as that prospect is going to make, make this all year with taxes. When that's, yeah. that's, that's the yeah. disgusting player. <laughs> that's insane. That, that fan goes to one game, gets lucky, walks out with 10 K and uh, yeah, that's all Mike, Michael Toglia is the guy's name. He's going to, Going to go home with 12K and probably work at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods in the offseason to make ends meet. So, Paint some houses. Yeah, paint some houses. Yeah. The, the bar is so low. The bar is so low. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, next one from Nunzio. Where do you foresee Columbus clearing out these pitchers? A lot of dead wood there between the needy innings. Yeah, so Zach Godley got released today with Columbus getting Cody Morris. Scott Moss still exists. Logan Allen still exists. Kevin Hergett, Heath Fillmeyer, those guys are still there. I think they'll be there the rest of the year at this point, um, but I'm pretty sure they won't be there next year. And I, I don't know what's going to happen to Scott Moss and, and Logan Allen. They've definitely fallen to the back of the pack, at least. I'm sorry, you broke up. Oh, I was just going to say, Nunzio wanted to know about all these pitchers in Columbus, and I said, well, um, Zach Godley got released today with Cody Morris getting to Columbus, and I think a lot of them were just dead. Yeah, I just I think he's wondering how many of these guys are going to stick around. And I said, uh, Kevin Hergett and Heath Fillmeyer, they'll be gone. And I wonder if Logan Allen, Scott Moss, if one of those guys is going to be gone next year too. Yeah, they'll probably be gone too. So I think that a lot of the guys at Double A and High should be in Double A and Triple A, honestly. 
Well, let's see. Next year, you start AAA with Cody Morris, Connor Pilkington, Peyton Battenfield, Logan T. Allen, and maybe you push Eli Morgan back down there because Bieber and Savali are healthy. There's your rotation. So, yeah. A lot of that's downward really depth. Finally. That's a really good AAA rotation, too. I think a lot of major league teams would love that as their AAA rotation. If Wilson Ramos continues to do well and show health at Cebus, Columbus, does he factor into catching next year? Uh, no, because he'll be a free agent. I thought I thought his presence meant they were going to trade Perez or Hedges, and they did not. I did so, too. just uh, it shows you I don't know anything. Um, Atkin rotation should be fun this week. Who moves to Columbus? Tully or Hillman? Uh, Ponticelli is still piggybacking. Uh, well, Cody Morris went to AAA, so that's your answer, Nunzio. Cody Morris got moved to AAA. Good for him. Love Cody Morris. Uh, Noel question. He's sitting 400 Lynchburg. Yeah, he's sitting 400. That's insane. Uh, They're going to stash him the rest of the year to try to hide him from the rule five. Uh, There's really no hiding anybody from the rule five. Like nobody's going to look at him and say, well, he wasn't in high A, so we're not going to take him high A and low A. They're close enough. Doesn't matter Uh, if they're going to take him at high A, they'll take him at low A, but they're not going to take him. So I wouldn't worry about it. Anything to add? <laughs> All right, this is a good one we can answer quick. Protect trade rule five. Quan Benson Noel. Um protect Benson trade. Trade Quan um trying to like sneak through Noel. I, I I close to agree with you. I would say trade Benson, protect Quan, and let Noel go unprotected. As much as I love me some Will Benson. Uh, Will Isaiah Green. More viable. It's just, I think he's going to wind up being the, the safer pick. That's the only reason why. But if they trade Benson and he hits, then, uh, boy, they missed a big one. Yeah, that, that man is, is different. I'm rooting for him, for sure. Uh, will Isaiah Green see Lynchburg this year? Uh, I would say no. It's Isaiah too late Green, in the season. No, it is too late. Um, he's probably too young, too. Plus, with Petey Hop in there, they don't want to probably have both of them up there taking up space. But he's been really good this year. Still very young. He was only drafted last year. Although Petey Halpin's there. Maybe maybe he gets like – I mean, they, they've done it before at, at um, short season where I want to say it was Bracho in 2019. I think he played like the final week at, at Mahoning Valley. So yeah, he did. Maybe, maybe Green – Goes to Lynchburg for the last him, week. Um, before him, it was um, Espino, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, and yeah, I would say that, there's a small chance. Yeah, they seem more willing to do it with certain guys. Or with, I'm, I'm, guys I'm interested that Petey Halpin is there, and he was drafted, you know, alongside Green. So, there's a possibility. And then Nunzio wants to know, where is Damon Cassetta Stubbs? I don't even know if Damon Cassetta Stubbs is a real person. He's on a roster somewhere. Um, but I've never seen his face or him physically. So uh, for all I know, they could just be making him up. A name on a roster. Yeah. They could just say, yeah, that's a name that exists and he's just here. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, he's on, I want to say he's on Lake County's roster. He's on, is he on Lynchburg's or Lake County's? He's on one of them. I don't see him. 
he must be on Lake County because I don't see him on Lynchburg's roster. He's not on any of them, so he just doesn't exist. Okay, Nuncio, Damon Cassetta Stubbs is a figment of your imagination. He doesn't actually exist. That's all I got. <laughs> hey, Nuncio, can I get your plug's number, please? Thank you. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. If that was – if you had to cut that out, I'm sorry. No, I, I didn't even hear what you said. I think it was uh, – I think it cut out. I, I honestly did I honestly didn't hear what you said. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ruin all your jokes, Pat. <laughs> I'm done. I quit. I'm done, I'm done joking I, with you forever. No. I I I it took me a second your Lavastina thing, but I, I legitimately did not hear you this time. Uh it's Nunzio for this plugs number, but I'll I'll get it from him through Twitter. Okay, okay. Oi. All right, all right. Um player of the week, Pat. Why don't you pick this? Uh, I said Mike Capriz and Daniel Espino last week. Joe said Daniel Espino and Luis Durango Jr. Obviously, we know what Espino did. Uh, Priest had a pretty nice week, but Luis Durango Jr. did steal five bases in a week. So, who who had the better week? I got to say Durango Jr. I think that's fair. I mean, that's fair. Five, if you still five stolen bases in a week, I don't care if your dog passed away. You still had a good week. Yeah, he had a good week. All right, so that puts the field between you, Jacob, Caleb, and Willie, uh, and Joe now at five. I'm at four. Who you got this week? Who's your players of the week this week? Give me George Valera. I'm going George Valera because I think – I think he's gonna finally get something to swing at this week. So give me George Valera for the hitters. Oh, I'm gonna say George Valera. Okay. All right. Um all right, I'll go with Gabriel Reyes. I wrote an article about him. Um and gotta go with you guys. That was an impromptu article. I just I just wrote in like two hours off the top of my head. Um pitcher, I will go. Hunter Gaddis. No, actually, I scratched that. I'll say um, Mason Hickman. Mason Hickman. Okay, I was gonna say. I think I think Gaddis had a good start last week, so he's due for the bad start this week. Yeah, he he always goes one or the other. He always go. He always alternates. He's an interesting dude. I, I I never know what to make him. Every other week, he looks like he could be a starter. Next week, he looks like. He's a reliever. I don't know. I took Cody Morris. I think Cody Morris's first AAA start is going to be awesome, and I can't wait to see it. Pat, anything you got coming up you want to promote? Um, Besides your Gabriel Arias article, which I will link in the podcast. Um, I have a feature article with Xavier Perry that will be dropping soon. And includes an interview I did with him. That's about 20, 25 minutes. So that'll be getting dropped soon. Yeah. If you listen this long, you're going to want to check that out for sure. Cause we're almost an hour and a half in. So if you, if you are still listening, then I assume you are interested in that Xavier Curry article as much as I am. So check that out. We are finally at some point next week, going to have the mid season top prospect rankings, the re rankings, I should say, um, so be on the lookout for that, along with notebooks, features, game coverage. Sign up to be a subscriber. If you're listening this long and you're not a subscriber, I'm just confused. So 
Um, please, please do that if you haven't already. Um, yeah, Pat, shout out your Twitter handle real quick because I always, always forget. Tangible underscore Uno. Yeah, I don't know how I forget that. It's so easy. Uh, follow me at jail underscore baseball and follow the IBI account at official underscore IBI until next year when we're official underscore GBI. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? No, it doesn't. Does well, it right there. It's just special. Nothing we can do about it. All right. Well, God bless if you listen this long. Stay well, and we'll catch you next week. Pat, thanks for joining me. Thank you.